my first thought actually was how I wanted to be sensitive to any peers, how they would feel about it and if they they felt ready for that transition and how I could have those conversations first to ensure that it doesn't change the way I look at us being a team together and I'm not looking to make every decision on my own. And This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. This is not business as usual. Now more than ever, the Norway Savings Business Lending Team is here to help make sure you're still able to do what you do. But let's face it, this is not an easy time. We will get through it together. It's a great comfort seeing the business community in Maine rallying around one another. It's our job to rally around you. Norway Savings. Live your life in color. Welcome to the Maine Biz Podcast, The Data Changed Everything. I'm Renee Cordes, speaking today with Jen Lever, president of Baxter Brewing in Lewiston, about how she came to lead one of Maine's largest craft brewers. Jen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So to get us started, Jen, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I grew up in Auburn, Maine, so the twin city of Lewiston, and went to high school here at Edward Little, graduated in 04. And my parents both graduated from Edward Little. My brother, who's five years younger than me, also graduated from Edward Little. So it's a, an area that has meant a lot to me from day one. And the fact that I'm now working in Lewiston, you know, helping to keep a company alive and thriving through a very strange time, but just in general to be here in the LA community is, is really fun and, and rewarding. Post high school, I went to college in upstate New York at Hobart and William Smith in Geneva, New York. And then I spent 10 years working at Pepsi and then in a couple of different facilities, first in New York and then in Virginia, and then moved back to run a vegetable processing company in 2014, and then was fortunate enough to join Baxter in, in 2017. And you were at Pepsi for a total of how many years? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I know that you always had this desire to get back to your home state, right? Mm -hmm. So tell yep. us about that and how you came back to Maine. I love to travel and I love new places and I love new challenges. Some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So whether that was being in South Africa or moving down to the east, the west, western corner of Virginia, but I knew that I, above all else, really love my family and I knew, and I love Maine. I am obsessed with Maine. My friends often tease me about that I should have been in tourism for Maine because <laughs> I've, I'm a big Maine advocate. I, I knew that I wanted to do that, but I wanted to get as many skills as I could and, I, and bring that back to Maine when I came. And then I had an opportunity come about in implementing food safety into a vegetable processing plant in Saco. That we ended up moving to Biddeford in 2015. But at first I said, no, I, I was in my dream role at Pepsi, my dream position. I had just gotten the operations manager role in the biggest plant in the country, working with the best colleague I've ever had. And I was learning so much every single day. 
and so I said no initially and then they came back and we kind of so six months later, I, I ended up moving back to Maine. Yep. And so tell us what you did for this, this vegetable processing company. Oh, it was, it was a small company as in, you didn't necessarily know the name of it because okay. <laughs> so of small, the, it had no name. Yeah. Well, no, it, it had a name. It just, most of the business that they had gotten or, and kept over the years, they, the company had been established for 40 years, um, initially in Auburn, actually oh. on river road. And then had moved to the Saco plant in the early 2000s and were more often than not doing co-packing. So they were packaging all of Green Giant Fresh's vegetables for the East Coast. And they were doing a lot of branded stuff for Cisco and North Center and Dennis Paper and that kind of thing. So if you if you ate coleslaw in the last 30 <laughs> years somewhere in Maine, you probably made, you know, the coleslaw was probably made by us. Same thing with romaine cut lettuce and shredded iceberg lettuce, things like that. So, and, and we were doing a lot of branded stuff for Market Basket at the time. So when I got there, food safety was really the tipping point for their ability to grow. As food safety became more and more required in order to do business, they were losing out on opportunities to both expand or maintain relationships. So it was incredibly important that it happened. Some questions of whether or not they could stay open. And then we were growing at 400% year over year. And then we're able to move into a bigger facility that was brand new in Bitterford. And it was incredibly rewarding, but incredibly challenging. Right. And then at, at one point while you were working at this vegetable processing company, you connected and I think did some consulting work uh, for Baxter Brewing. So how did you make that connection in the first place? So Tom Platts is a entrepreneur here in the Auburn area. I knew him from high school because Adam and I went to high school together and he has a lot of interest in building up main companies and doing what he can to, to help make their dreams come true. And then, and that's really, you know, the reasons he got behind Luke's business plan and wanted to be an investor in, at that time in 2011. And so he had asked me to take some of my experiences from Pepsi from a process vendor relationship standpoint and, and work on some efficiencies, quality metrics, um, and then where we could maybe leverage some opportunities around saving money on either ingredients or transportation, et cetera. So it kind of morphed into from consulting very quickly into, I need to know more about this, you know, top to bottom and employee protocols and processes and building a team and team culture and morale and working conditions and, and all of that. So very quickly transitioned to, you know, I was eat, sleep and breathing everything Baxter related. So. <laughs> and then at one point, I mean, you, you then took a job with them. So when did you join Baxter Brewing as an employee? March of 2017, I started and, and then took on the director of operations role in October of that year. And what were some like your, the first projects that you oversaw or anything stick out in your mind from that beginning time? Evaluating the actual canning equipment was probably one of the biggest first projects. We ended up investing in a counter pressure filler. So that was, we were the first in Maine to do that. And that was really bringing big company, big manufacturing process to a much smaller footprint and speed. That was a big change. Internally, we've made a lot of changes around structure for hours and, and giving a better work-life balance and, and trying to keep some of those things in mind. Brewing to demand was another huge change from a production capacity standpoint. It gave us a better line of sight on 
what's going to be needed and, and how you work that back. That was a production process that hadn't ever been introduced here. Just, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you can't be held accountable to not know something that there'd be no way for you to know it type of thing. So that made a huge difference on rotation and health and shelf life of the beer and warehousing capacity and space and planning and, um, and leveraging the volumes on the packages that made sense. Um, that that was a big deal, and that we we that's how we brew now, as we brew to demand. Did you easily fit into the the team? You know, because of the connections to Lewiston Auburn, and you know, through high school and so forth, you must have sort of instantly felt like part of the Baxter Brewing team. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I fit in easily. Pretty, you know, it's a really good group of people. So luckily they are very welcoming and they want to be better. And, and that's what's so interesting and motivating about craft beer over some of the other businesses I've been a part of. It's not that people aren't motivated to do a good job, but you really get into craft beer because you have a passion for craft beer. You know, I never had anybody at the vegetable processing plant tell me that they had dreamt their entire life <laughs> cutting romaine. You know, that like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> yeah. that work can be pretty monotonous and it's very specific. And, and even Pepsi, it's very scientific, right? They, it's all about executing that recipe and that CO2 level to the exact specifications that someone at corporate decided. Here, people touch and feel and give feedback on the naming and the malt profiles and hops and bitterness. And so you really feel like you you can touch anything. Anything this place puts out, I believe our staff all feels informed, a mm-hmm. part of it. And even if it's a beer they maybe that not every single person loves, they know why. They know why we went that route. They know what we were trying to accomplish with that beer. And they understand the metrics of what we're deciding of, does this beer stay in our portfolio for a limited release or a year round? Like, what are we trying to accomplish as a business with that beer? Um which has been, it's been great. I mean, I've learned so, so much about beer. Admittedly, being just a light beer consumer prior to my days in 2017 to such a a more exploratory drinker now. And when you get, whether it's it's this team or another craft brewing team in Maine or or anywhere in the country, you know, because we, we, the industry really does connect on every level. It's, you know, there's nothing fake about it. I think that's one of the questions I get asked the most often and the passion and collaborative nature of this industry is everything it's cracked up to be. It's incredible what people are willing to share and help you learn from. And you get in front of a group of people who love what they're doing and they just want to do it better tomorrow than they did yesterday. It's incredibly infectious and it, how could you not want to do that? And how do you not want to bring that to life for people? And that's what's been, I think, one of the more rewarding things for me, for sure. Great. So back to to your story and your time at Baxter. So at at what time did the discussion start about, you know, Luke retiring and, and you possibly stepping into the president role? So Luke had started several other companies throughout his tenure at Baxter. And so he had been and, and, you know, he self-proclaimed is that he likes to start companies and, and that is what he's really driven by is bringing a, an idea to life. So we didn't have any direct conversation about it probably until, until July of last of 2019. Year. Yes. Yeah. It had been like a pretty natural transition for me to take over 
a handful of other things. There was a CEO in place who unfortunately had been diagnosed with cancer and was putting his health first as he should be and would. And so there was some natural things that I was stepping into and, and helping to make sure that, you know, summers are absolute busiest season and making sure things didn't fall through and, and how are we planning and so that when he returned, you know, we didn't miss a beat and we could keep going and growing. So the conversation with Luke, Tom and I, I think, you know, happened in July and it was, you know, it was incredibly flattering and not, not shocking, but not, not anticipated either. And the company was what size at that time? Uh, roughly how many employees? We probably, we think we had like 24 employees at that point. And you said you weren't shocked, obviously. So what, what, what was your reaction when, when, you know, that July, when this came up? I just felt ready. I felt, I felt the, my first thought actually was how I wanted to be sensitive to any peers, how they would feel about it. And if they they felt ready for that transition and how I could have those conversations first to ensure that it doesn't change the way I look at us being a team together. And I'm not looking to make every decision on my own and, and silo things out. So that was probably my first thought. And then I was just thrilled at the idea of, of bringing the rebrand to life. And, and then the, the focus was on the brand and, and what did we need to do? It was less so about what does it mean to be president or how does a president spend their time versus a director of operations, which, you know, looking back, maybe those are the things I should have been thinking about and asking. <laughs> There's too much happening at once. But yeah, there was, there was a tremendous amount happening in a very short amount of time. And, and so it was summer and we were about to hit a hundred thousand barrels with stowaway. And it was something that I really wanted to be monumental. You know, I really wanted to bring to life, and make anybody who was new to the team feel a big part of how we did it and and getting there. But certainly again, back to honoring tenure, but the people that had made a hundred thousand barrels happen, you know, how do we, how do we make them walk out of that night and feel proud and know that, you know, without them, maybe we wouldn't have been there that soon. And, and, and wanted to, you know, I felt that I had a responsibility to send Luke off in a way that, honored and respected his contribution and his time here at Baxter and made him feel proud of, of what was in store. And, you know, knowing that he would always forever be a family and friend of the brewery, but how do we make that feel that, you know, how do, how do I make him feel appreciated and honored and excited of what's, what's to come and, and comfortable with, with my direction and, and where we were headed with things. So, yeah, I think those were kind of my initial thoughts. Well, start of an exciting chapter for you for Baxter Brewing. So we're going to take a very short break now to hear from one of our sponsors. And then we'll talk more about the day that changed everything for Jen Lever and Baxter Brewing. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. I have a huge sense of pride to be at my age and to be doing something I really did love and, and helping to make other people's 
dreams and aspirations of what Baxter could be and bring that to life, but you know, it was a privilege. And it, it's, you know, it's certainly a responsibility I've never taken lightly. We are back talking to Jen Lever, president of Baxter Brewing, about how she came to lead that company. So before we get back into that narrative, Jen, can you just give us a brief snapshot of Baxter Brewing, which is one of Maine's largest craft brewers in a state that takes its beer very seriously. So for listeners who may not be that familiar with Baxter, um, what can you tell us about it? Baxter was established in 2011 as the first all-can brewery on the East Coast. Luke Livingston, our founder, uh, was really inspired by Oscar Blues and the Canarchy Group and thought that the portability of cans and the environmentally friendly package uh, should be brought to the drinkers of Maine. So we were the 16th brewery to be licensed in Maine. And now in 2021, there's over 150 and, and that number keeps climbing. So the market has changed tremendously. And what when we came onto the market in 2011, we were bringing a West Coast IPA. So Stowaway is a 6.9% heavy hitting, heavily hopped, very malty IPA that's filtered. And on the scene at that time, anything that was a West Coast option really had, had traveled literally from the West Coast. So the freshness, the portability, the price point was a revolution for the craft beer drinker at that time. It had that very emblematic skull and crossbones. People loved it. It was gritty, came from a mill you know, made by Mainers, and people really got behind the brand. And the name Baxter, tell us about that. Yes. So Baxter Brewing, was the name Baxter was selected by Luke in efforts to honor the time that he spent there with his family as a kid. So the vacations that he took at that time in his life really was something he wanted to honor. And, and he felt like people could get behind the idea. And Baxter State Park, right? Of Baxter State Park. Yep. And uh, Luke had very sadly had lost his mother just before starting to write his business plan for Baxter. So at the time oh. he, would, he was, he'll tell you, he was slinging sea dog biscuits at the Portland sea dogs and <laughs> doing a various other, number of various other t jobs and figuring out what he wanted to do next. And he said, life is short and I need to write a business plan and, and make a brewery, bring a brewery to life. And he did that. And it has been incredibly exciting as a Lewis and Auburn native to watch that growth. I, I wasn't in Maine at the time, but I remember the very first Christmas that they had the can-shaped glasses. I, that was one of the Christmas gifts I got. Always being somebody that's taken a lot of pride in Maine and certainly in Lewis and Auburn area, it was something that our demographic really got behind of how cool it is that you know this is what's bringing people to Lewis and Auburn and, and attention to Maine on a on a state level. And Baxter continually tried to honor both of those things, both the the heritage of Baxter State Park and the development of Baxter Outdoors. So we're the only craft brand in the state right now that has an outdoor entity where we do off trail or off road map trail running. So there's trail running series and ski skiing and snowshoeing and a number of events that happen all throughout the year. And we have a, a very large brew fest in June, right in Samard Payne Park across from the brewery that we've done for the last six years. And it was voted Maine's best brew fest actually last year. So that's something that we were, or two years ago, um, so we were really proud of and continually trying to revisit how do we stay the economically friendly, uh, high quality, safely made product that we've 
come to be known for while also having those creative limited release one-off options that are a lot of fun and, and show a bit more of our personality and and what we would do if if money wasn't an option and uh you know similar <laughs> with go for it and bootleg fireworks and those are a bit more of our kind of innuendo is our white russian stout it's a bit more fun and they think in the rebrand you can see the things that are, the outdoors element the economically friendly the captivating packages is something Baxter's always been known for. The artwork that initially were founded for the beers that came out from 2011 up until 17 had beautiful artwork, but the individual can artwork had kind of taken on its own life and the brand was lost as a result. So we had a responsibility to reevaluate that and make the package a bit more cohesive across the shelf for our retail partners and our fans, you know, to make sure that somebody walks in and yeah, they love Stowaway, but they really wanted to dabble in another Baxter brand. They can find it. It's right next to Stowaway and help build up a, an even deeper fan base that and be able to flex our ability to, to make something other than a West Coast style IPA. So Stowaway is tried and true and, and the dedicated Stowaway fans are some of my favorite fans to meet in the market <laughs> because they seem that they always have some very creative stories after some consumption of Stowaway. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think it, we certainly are most known for, for that beer and, and what we did at the start of in 2011 for the craft beer scene in Maine. And now being an all-can brewery is, is certainly more commonplace than being bottles. But it's something we've taken pride in and, and we look to keep exploring other ways to keep making that interesting and creative. And that, you know, that happened with our expansion into 16 ounces several years back. And then last year going into 19.2 ounce. And now we've got the crowlers at our pub. So we are, we are cans to stay, but we, we still very much love it and have a lot more to explore and bring to life. Great. So now walk us back again to the day that you were named president or, or that week. So how did you first share that news with the, the rest of the team? And what was that like? We had an all staff meeting and Luke delivered the message as far as how we shared it internally. We developed a press release to go out. And at the time, even though that seems probably crazy, at the time, press releases weren't something that we did a, a whole lot of. And typically it was press releases around beers. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't about a personnel change. Uh, and we knew that we wanted to partner up the 100,000 barrels party with a send off for Luke and the announcement of my presidency kind of all put together. Um, and then trying to bring to life, how do you how do you make that exciting? And how do you make that night memorable? And I think the conversations immediately went to, to how to best to do that versus what does it mean to be president and what should I do on a Tuesday? And, you know, <laughs> and what, what was that party like? I think it, it was it a Friday the 13th, I think it was. Yep. Uh, and that was, was that also your first day as president or. Yeah. I mean, I think that's technically how we <laughs> did it. I mean, I was fulfilling the role prior to that, but I think, you know, from a external standpoint, yeah, that, that I guess marks the day for, for us. You talked about how, you know, this was a kind of, you know, seamless transition because you were already overseeing operations and very active at Baxter Brewing. So it was obviously a role you were very prepared from, but was it still a big deal for you? Did you take some sense of pride, you know, as a woman to be leading a main craft brewer? Did you yeah, feel I mean, a sense of pride? I, I'm, I certainly, I, I have a huge sense of pride, you know, whether it was as a woman or 
or not to be at my age and to be doing something I really did love and, and helping to make other people's dreams and aspirations of what Baxter could be and bring that to life. But, you know, it was a privilege and it, it's, you know, it's certainly a responsibility I've never taken lightly at that point or, or any other, but it was, I think being local to Lewis and Auburn is, was a bit more of where I was drawing the pride from, you know, I've always mm-hmm. wanted to make my parents proud of what I did. And I don't know before that point I had ever thought about making my community proud in the same way. Cause it's not, you know, Lewis and Auburn didn't get an update every time I got a promotion at Pepsi. Right? <laughs> and then being the face of a company was completely new to me. And how do I represent this very vibrant, creative business and group of people in a way that feels no matter who reads something I say about us, that they feel represented and they feel that their opinion was captured. I think that that's a responsibility that I have and maybe hadn't considered because it, it had never been something on my plate before. You know, I wasn't being interviewed by national news stations about why did Pepsi have Britney Spears in the commercial? You know, it's, <laughs> uh, people didn't really care what I thought about that. And yeah, I think, you know, being very transparent about that challenge and about my yearning to do that, but, you know, wanting to evaluate and get feedback from my team if of whether or not I executed that effectively has been something I have taken very seriously. And, and, and there was a lot of attention to the idea that I was a female and which is great for our industry. And for, you know, if that helped aspire or inspire any woman in the industry here or, or somewhere else, that's great. Great. And, and how are you doing personally and how is Baxter Brewing doing now? I think we are, I think we're doing great. We, you know, we could spend so much time talking about how we didn't get to launch in the same way. And, and we miss interacting with our fans in a way that we used to. And we look forward certainly to when that can happen again, but our, the team that is here is, is the best, the best of the best. Great. Sounds like you guys have a a busy time ahead. So now we're just going to take a short break to hear from a sponsor, and then we will wrap up with some final takeaways. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. You're never done learning. And, and the day you think you're done, it, you know, is the day probably you're in the wrong space or place. Welcome back. We have been speaking with Jen Lever, president of Baxter Brewing in Lewiston, about her path to leading the craft brewer. Jen, before we wrap up, uh, what, what's on your to-do list in 2021? 2021 is to make the most of our our rebrand and our release of our biggest bet to date coming out this month called Coastal Haze. It's a year-round hazy IPA, which is going to be instrumental in our success going forward and incredibly transformative in people's understanding of what Baxter can do. Uh, we've only ever released hazy IPAs or hazy beers in either the pub system or on limited releases using a different yeast. And I think the team could not be more excited to see what that beer can do in the market and continually 
recommit to some of our 10 year surprises to come for the year. So we've got a, a number of things lined up that are either coming back out as a re-release or a brand new release, but Coastal Haze is absolutely our biggest bet and continuing to, to leverage our love of loggers and um, having people associate Baxter with being a great craft logger option. So do you have a succession plan in place for your eventual successor? Is that something that you have already thought about? I, I have to be honest with you, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not, maybe not, too early. Not because it's not a great thought or very needed. I This last year has presented more new challenges than than certainly ever in my career. And in, as the first year as president and, and going into the second year, right? I haven't evaluated, I don't have a wildly lined out plan around what does that look like? And, and am I servicing the role of president correctly and accurately? I think it's a, a matter of continuously improving and evaluating how better to spend time, you know, for my own sake and for the team's sake and what's best for the brand. But a secession plan, I, you know, I use an analogy pretty often that with the team that we need to be prepared for me to be hit by a bus. So if I'm hit by oh. a bus tomorrow, and it's it's a way of speaking to a succession plan. But um, sure, yeah, I think you know if I was to be gone tomorrow, there's certainly leaders in our organization that could step up and fill fill that gap and would do so with incredible ease and capability, and and certainly wouldn't there wouldn't be anything that was asked of them that they would have never heard of or didn't know that we were working on. You know, we have a lot of transparency internally with, with everything that we may have in the works. So sure. Yeah. I probably, my team will listen to this and then tell me that we got to iron out a secession plan. So realizing it's still, you know, early in your time as, as president, obviously I'm sure every day is, is a steep learning curve. And so if you can boil it down to a couple of lessons that you've learned from your experience so far running Baxter Brewing, uh, you know, what, what, what would be your top two or three? about running a company? Probably. Hmm. Well, had the pandemic not happened, it probably <laughs> the lessons would have been a little different. Actively connecting with the idea that it can always be worse and that effort can sometimes correct for, for not knowing. You know, being willing and able to say when you don't know something and to lean on experts, whether that's financial experts or quality experts or top experts, you know, there's a lot to be gained and a lot of headache saved when, when you have a willingness and ability to admit that and admit when you don't know. And I think the team collectively has learned that in a, a several different ways over the last 18 months and take some pride in that. You know, we, I think breweries across the state have seen us have different challenges that maybe they would anticipate that we wouldn't have because we're big enough or we've been around long enough or whatever it might be, but being willing to share in, in our hurdles and, and take in the information for people who have had hurdles, whether that's with the implementation of our CO2 reclamation system. So this is again, a time where Baxter is the first in the East coast to do something. And there's always going to be a learning curve when you're the first of something, but recognizing those and recognizing when, when the experts can step in is, has been a huge lesson and something I, I feel really proud of. And you're never done learning. And, and the day you think you're done, it, you know, is the day probably you're in the wrong, wrong space or place. So. And you feel like you still like you were 
in that learning every day. Oh yeah. I, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, if my goodness, even from a, like a book standpoint or, a, you know, more people that I can talk to in the industry. And whenever you have the, the fortune to be in front of someone who really is a wealth of knowledge, you know, don't miss those opportunities, you know, go to the conference, listen to the podcast, what, whatever it might be. And, and stay, in my opinion, staying close to how your team feels about how you're being exuded in the market and, and or brought to life in the market is important. It's it's almost that your team should be some of your top fans, right? And they should feel represented because that is that is the way of this industry to feel proud and and connected to something that we're doing. It certainly is Baxter's approach, I guess. Until until my secession plan takes over, that'll be our our path forward. <laughs> The Day That Changed Everything is a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI or Main Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The MainBiz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.